Are you a healthcare organization struggling to achieve success? What if I told you that success not only depends on strategy, but also on the right mindset? At the Mindset Gap, their team of seasoned consultants understand the critical role mindset plays in achieving organizational excellence by empowering your workforce to think innovatively, embrace change, and adapt to new challenges. So imagine your workplace, one where your employees and patients thrive, where creativity and productivity go hand in hand, and where obstacles become opportunities. Don't let your organization fall into the mindset gap. Take the first step towards unlocking your potential today and email assist at themindsetgap.com with the referral code GENCAN20 to schedule a consultation. Are you a physician looking for a change? Consider locum tenens. Whether you are burned out, need a change of pace, or are looking to supplement your income, locum tenens might be the solution for you. If you're considering locum's tenens, either full-time or on the side, you probably have a question or two, or 20. Fortunately, locumstory.com is the website that has all of the answers you need. It's packed with unbiased information and advice from physicians like you. Locumstory.com has nothing to sell. It's simply a resource of information. You'll find super handy tools that let you see locums trends for your specialty, compare different locums agencies, and there's even a quiz to help you decide if locums is right for you. Locumstory.com is the perfect place to start if you want to learn more about locum tenens. Visit locumstory.com today to learn more about locum tenens and see if it's right for you. Welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. This is a safe space where we invite healthcare providers to unapologetically be themselves after the working day. My name is Jennifer George, and each week I will connect you with guests and stories that will help transform your stress to success and fulfillment. Are you with me? Grab your drink of choice and let's chat. Hey everyone, welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. I'm your host, Jennifer George, and I'm joining you today with Karen Furr. Karen is a registered nurse with a master's degree in nursing education. She has over 15 years of experience as a nurse and has taught in both the clinical and classroom settings. Karen has founded the Resilient Nurse Project in 2020 in order to fulfill her mission of helping nurses recognize, address, and overcome burnout, compassion, fatigue. I highly recommend you check this episode out as Karen and I chat about the six pillars of resilience for nursing, but as well as for healthcare providers in general, in order to recognize burnout and compassion fatigue, as well as overcoming it individually and for yourselves and finding fulfillment in your practice. So grab your drink of choice. You don't want to miss this episode and join us. Hi, Karen. Welcome to the show. Thank you. 
How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm so excited you're here. I've been looking forward to, to recording this with you. I know we've been going back and forth for a bit with our hectic schedules. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but we made it work. <laughs> I knew we'd get here eventually. So, exactly. so I'm glad you're here because I, I just want to chat with you about what you're doing, like the work you're doing. I want to chat about you, you know, who you are and what you're doing in the space of burnout and helping nurses specifically. But I know that what you're doing can also carry over to healthcare providers in general. Yeah, but absolutely. yeah. So first though, if we can chat a little bit about you and tell us, sure. you know, what brought you to this point? I know you're a registered nurse. Yeah. Uh, um, I became a nurse, not out of passion or calling, but out of necessity for good, stable income. So first of all, you know, I like to point that out because a lot of nurses, you know, you hear the story of like, oh, I was called to do this or I've wanted to do it as a child. But a lot of us are here because we just needed a good job or someone else told us this was the right path and we got here. And sometimes that's that can contribute to our feeling of like, am I doing what's right? You know, do I even care about what I'm doing? This is exhausting to me. So yeah, I started nursing because I just needed a good job. My mom was a nurse. And so my parents said, this is the path you should go. And I did. And eight years into that path, my youngest daughter was diagnosed with brain cancer. And it wasn't until that very moment when her doctor was explaining to me what he had found that I realized I had spent the last eight years giving every bit of myself mentally, physically, emotionally to my patients. And I had nothing left to give my own child, my own self and my own family in that moment of trauma. And so it really was eye opening to see what this career can do to a person if they're not paying attention. And so that that experience kind of launched my own journey into digging into resilience research and figuring out how the heck are we going to survive this? And then from there, I just started sharing the knowledge of what I'd learned and eventually turned it into an official thing called the Resilient Nurse Project, where we help nurses specifically recognize, address, and overcome burnout. Wow. And how is your daughter doing, Karen? She's doing fantastic. She just went off to her freshman year of college and is learning how to navigate all those challenges, but um, she's doing absolutely wonderfully. Wow. So how did you get through it? Because I, first of all, you made, like you brought up two really important points. First of all, in terms of getting into the profession itself, you know, nursing has always been you know, that trusted profession, but also that profession that's needed. And there's always job opportunities and there's so many diverse job opportunities. So definitely that would impact someone's decision to consider it. Absolutely. So I'm glad you were like so genuine about sharing that. So I appreciate that. But second, I have these thoughts too, you know, working in healthcare right now, you know, what if something happens in my life or my family's life where if I feel I'm kind of just making it now in a way, right? (laughs) Like, you know, what would happen if something were to derail? You know, what what would I do? And I think these are realistic fears, but also things that we have to like, talk about whether it's with, you know, our family members or with our, at least with ourselves, just, you know, just identifying how we would get through those moments and what that plan would be like. Yeah. And I think before COVID happened, It was something that a lot of nurses could kind of think like, oh, that won't happen to me. And we just brushed it under the rug. But when so when, you know, when the pandemic hit and so many of us were being pushed to the max professionally, but also losing people personally on a a whole new scale, a whole new level, Mm -hmm. 
we were forced to address this real, you know, the reality that nursing is a very draining career, healthcare in general for all of us, not just nurses. Nursing is what I know, right? but, you know, I, I also know that all healthcare, you know, providers have been deeply impacted by the scope of what we've seen in the last few years. So for me, I did what I knew from nursing was to dig into research. And mm-hmm. also that was kind of a way of coping for me was to dig into a book. I love to read. I love to learn new things. So I dug into research about all high-performing, high-stress jobs and how people in those jobs or in those situations managed. So I studied Navy SEALs. I studied high-performing athletes, um, a lot of different career paths, you know, Olympic athletes, things of that nature, and what they did to maintain their sustainable resilience, their strength mentally, physically, emotionally throughout these different roles. And through my different research, just studying, reading books, talking to experts, I developed my curriculum uh, that we'll talk about in detail, but that really outlines six different areas, six different pillars of resilience that we can proactively build and strengthen and practice in order to create a, a holistic foundation of resilience that provides support no matter what the adversity is that we face. And that was really the eye-opening thing to me was that you can't just have one coping mechanism, one way of being tough or resilient. In the day-to-day, that one way will get you through. But when we're faced with the next level of stress or overwhelm, one coping mechanism is not enough anymore. And that's what I found researching all these different avenues of high-stress, high-trauma positions was that you know, whether it be military or, or high-performing athletes, they had multiple ways of managing stressors and managing adversity. And that's really where the key is, is, is building that whole foundation. I love that. I can't wait to get into that, actually. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious in your research, because I know you, you researched high-performance individuals, mm-hmm. but was there any research at that time and I know it wasn't that long ago, but uh, was there research at that time about nursing? Like, was there research at that time about healthcare providers and resilience? What I found was personal- there, yeah, there is a whole lot of research about how burnt out we are. Our workers are. Yeah. Not very much research about what we're doing about it or how yeah. to address it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where the gap is, is a lot of the research ends that, yep, we've proved scientifically that we're burnt out, that we're overwhelmed, that we all want to quit. Okay. Like, okay, what are we going to do about it? We can't continue to accept that it's just part of the job, that it's just the way it is. It's not sustainable. And we're seeing that, you know, with this mass exodus of healthcare workers and people choosing to go to different professions or, you know, job hop because they just can't find that balance. Yeah. So that's what I'm trying to do is say, okay, we already know it's there. Like, what can we do about it? How Love can that. we change it, change the culture so that that's not the accepted mindset, that that's not the expectation that's allowed anymore? Exactly. I love that. So you're filling that gap in. And that's part of the reason why I started this show too, Karen, was because, yeah, like we know that, and this was pre-pandemic, like mm-hmm. when I started it, I knew that we were in crisis or we were going that way. Things weren't right. getting better. but. Maybe I can, you know, add value to others in bringing other people who've been through it <laughs> as well, like yeah. yourself, yeah. or have researched it and can help someone out, right? So, yeah. like I said, I'm so glad you're here, but I wanted I want you to step back just a little bit. Let's talk about so that moment when your daughter was diagnosed. Mm-hmm. You, you, it was almost like 
maybe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but in your description, you described it as like, how am I going to do this? I've been taking mm-hmm. care of other like people basically for all these years, for eight years. Yeah. And I don't know if I have anything left. Did was Would you say that that was almost a moment of burnout, but like a recognition of it or? Absolutely. I mean, that yeah. was like, I think the bottom of the barrel moment for me because yeah. I, so I had worked the, the previous eight years in a pediatric ICU. So it was very specific to what I was relating to personally in that moment. Yes. Like she's going to become another patient in the beds that I work at beside every day. And yeah, yeah it was just, my first thought was I can't do this because I've done it for everybody else. And then my second thought was how terrible that my first thought wasn't about my own child. It was about all the other people that I've taken care of. So it was just kind of a spiral of like, wait, this is so wrong that, that I can't be mom first that I had to, you know, think about all the other people and all the other care that I had given. So yeah, that was truly an eye opening moment for me. And also there was a moment, a brief moment where I thought, I don't want to do this. And not just from a parent, uh, the obvious, like, this is my baby, but from a nursing standpoint, like, I don't want to have to think through all of this medically, like, what am I going to have to figure out with her diagnosis and her treatment plan and all this? Because I was like, I'm I'm tired of learning those things. I'm, you know, like I got a handle on the patients I take care of. I don't want to learn this new specialty of pediatric oncology. I don't want to figure this out. Whether it was my child or somebody else's, I, I realized like just that thought of having to tackle a whole new, you know, specialty and process was like, no, I, I'm exhausted already. Yeah. I, I've done this enough. Yeah, it was a crazy, crazy moment. So how can others recognize these signs of maybe that they're burning out? Or can you kind of tap into that a little bit and define the two, like in terms of burnout and compassion fatigue as well? Absolutely. They're very closely tied. And so the top three signs that we see for someone who's experiencing burnout or compassion fatigue, number one is just fatigue, but it's beyond like it's fatigue. You can't recover from with a day off or with a good night's sleep. You know, when you're waking up day after day, just feeling exhausted, even when you've done those restorative things, you know, that's when you recognize, okay, there's a deeper issue. There's something else going on here. Uh, the second thing is lack of feeling like you're doing good or lack of connection to what you're doing. Like, you know, you show up to the patient's bedside and you're like, does this even matter what I'm doing? You know, I come to work and I take care of these people for 12 hours. Am I even making a difference? That disconnect from when you first started and you felt like, hey, I can make a difference in this patient's day or I made this patient, you know, feel better today. When you start to feel that disconnect of, am I doing any good? That's a really big red flag. And then the third thing, which actually is the most common thing I think that we see is cynicism, that feeling of everything's negative. I'm bitter towards what we're doing. I'm bitter towards what I'm showing up for every day. That's a huge red flag uh, for us to recognize. So if people are starting to feel any of those, it's really a time to step back and say, okay, is this an acute situation that I've just had a bad week or a bad, you know, little season? Or is this a deeper seeding issue that I need to start to really poke at and and pay attention to? Mm-hmm. And what about compassion fatigue, Karen? Yeah, compassion you... fatigue is similar. When you start to feel like I don't um, am I making a difference, or I don't really care if I am or not. I just you know I did the thing. I checked off the box. I gave the meds. D- 
do they work or not? And eh, whatever, you know, like I did what I was supposed to do. That's where you start. That's, that's really where compassion fatigue is, is kind of identified is that you're not concerned with the outcome or you're less concerned than you used to be, or that you, you know, feel is appropriate. Right. So what do you say, like you kind of touched on the culture a little bit, which is great. What do you say though, like to, and I've, I've been a guest on podcasts about this topic as well, or similar anyway. And I've had literally people say like, I don't want you to come on the show if you're going to kind of put it on the shoulder of the providers. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I've always said that it's not just a provider issue when we talk about burnout and you were talking, you touched on culture a little bit. So I do want to tap into that a little, because I do want people to recognize that it's not just all on the provider's shoulders. That's not what we're saying, but also to recognize that like, we don't have control over sometimes those organizational things from the front line sometimes, right. Or that culture, but we can start where we're at and take care of ourselves where we're at. And I think like you said, during this pandemic and now hopefully as things are settling a bit, we're recognizing how valuable our health and well-being really are. Quite the opposite now. I feel like we've swung the other way and we're we're holding on to that now because we recognize how precious yeah. life is and how short it is, but right. also how it's affected us, each and every one of us, right? But yeah, what do you say to the objection that burnout, and it is an occupational you know, hazard, I get that, uh, but what do you say to that objection that it's a systems issue? And um, so I think it's both as healthcare providers, we have to realize that if we allow employers or, you know, the hospital systems to treat us that way, they're not going to see any different, right? They're not going to understand the difference. If we don't advocate for ourselves the way we advocate for our patients, who else is going to advocate for us? We teach our patients that if you don't advocate for yourself, who else is going to, right? That's where we have to start. And we have to have an open mind of, we can't just come with complaints and bitterness, right? We have to come with, with ideas and solutions and who better to figure out what those ideas and solutions are than those of us who are in the thick of what the problems are. So it's not a matter of us figuring out on our own, but it's us starting that conversation of things need to change. Things need to be different and helping guide the way for healthcare leaders to see a new way forward in a way that respects both sides. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where a lot of struggle is right now. We have a lot of really big names, you know, that are advocating for like how bad nursing is or bringing light to all the cynical side, all the bitterness. But where is the, the, the acknowledgement that it is a business that has to be run, right? There are dollars that have to be considered, whether you want to think about it or not. Like somebody has to pay the light bill to keep the hospital yeah. going, right? And so we have to sit down and have conversations about like, what do both sides need and where can we compromise? I love that you said that and acknowledge that because I, I, I'm totally with you on that. I think we have to recognize both sides and I don't think we can truly see the other side unless we're... Right. we're you know, communicating with each other (laughs) and collaborating with each other. So let's talk now about those pillars, your six pillars of resilience that you've established through all of your research and personal experience. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we can go through each of them kind of quickly. So yeah, that would be great. Yeah. And then they're in no particular order. So when I am working with someone, the first thing I do is 
kind of walk through an assessment to determine where are you with each pillar, which one's the strongest, which one's your weakest. And then we work to balance them out so that you're stronger in all of them so that you have that more holistic view. Just like you look at, okay, my heart's in good shape, but my liver is failing. Well, okay, let's get the liver up to speed. And then we can talk about how they work together and that sort of thing. So the first one is active optimism, which is the mindset of choosing to see positive. So our amygdala is constantly scanning for threats in our environment. That's how it's wired. So we're always seeking the negative, right? We're always subconsciously recognizing the negative in our surroundings. We have to train our brain and create new pathways to also recognize positive, recognize good things in our surroundings. So it's an active choice to teach your brain to recognize those. And you can do that through things like gratitude journaling. So I had one person who created an active optimism box in their break room and they would they had journals where people could just, as they saw little good things throughout the day or throughout the shift, they could write them down in a journal. And then at Huddle, they would share some of those. Mm-hmm. And they, by sharing them, helped each other start to recognize the good, the positive things that were happening that our brain isn't naturally trained to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's, that is the first pillar. Yeah. Active optimism. The second is decisive action. And this is where we teach ourselves how to make better decisions in a moment of crisis or adversity. So it's kind of a balance to the fight or flight response, right? When, when something you're faced with something like, what do you do? We can train ourselves to make decisive actions, to make actions that are better informed. We can do that through continuing education. We can do that through certifications. We can do that through reviewing situations that have not gone the way we wanted in the past and working with mentors or specialists to determine what we can do differently. Just like we practice for a code, we practice for a fire drill. We can practice for any other scenario that we might face. So when you think about these are the top three things, let's say, that really burn me out at work, that really just push me over the edge. Okay, let's look at those three things and find resources, find a person, find a coach to help you learn how to make different responses or different decisions when those things you know, are presented to you. Can you give me an example of that, Karen? Like even from your own clients or yeah, or practice? Yeah. So decisive action. Uh, for instance, the biggest one I usually hear in this is what to do in a code or in a rapid response. Mm-hmm. And it's it's truly like, okay, what part of it was scary to you? What part freaks you out? Okay, let's go practice that. Let's go read that. Let's go see what other units are doing mock codes and ask if you can go and observe. Another one is IV starts nurses, you know, uh, or a certain procedure that's really stressful to them. Whenever this procedure comes up, I get, you know, heightened stress. Okay, let's see if we can follow the IV team around for a day. Like, how can we expose you to more educated response options so that when you're faced with that situation, your brain naturally has more good choices to pull from Mm -hmm. rather than pulling from fear? Like you're filling in the gap. If your brain doesn't know what to do, it's going to default to like fear and insecurity. But if you fill in the gap of here's the file box of what to do for this, then your brain can pull from it Mm -hmm. and it has the tool it needs. Awesome. The next one is intentional self-care. And this is 
kind of the most obvious one when people start to talk about dealing with burnout, Mm -hmm. but truly it's the intentional part is what I love to drill in. Because if you don't intentionally plan to take care of yourself, it's not going to happen. In most cases, nobody else is sitting there thinking, okay, what's the care plan for Karen today or for Jennifer today? You know, your spouse might on occasion be like, hey, do you need a day off? Do you need to go out and do this or that? But on a regular basis, we have to, just the way we plan for our patients, plan what we need for ourselves, whether that's a day, you know, a day without the kiddos every, you know, once a month, whether that's taking care of all of our own doctor's appointments. I had to laugh the other day because I literally spent like four hours one morning just calling and making appointments that I had been putting off for months. Oh, that's so funny because yesterday I was telling my... Uh... My coworkers actually that yeah I I did two appointments yesterday that I had been putting off for like a good month. Right. So like we yeah. wouldn't do that for our patients. We wouldn't yeah. say ah, we'll get to it. Like yeah, you know, it's been so a year. Eh, it'll be. A- yeah, Why so do we true. do that for ourselves? So it's the intention of I'm going to give myself the same care and attention and advocacy that I give to everyone else. Yeah. And I do I do think people think that. It, and what's what you see out there is that this is everything to, to resilience, right? And it's not, right. it's just, it's, it's a component of it. Okay. Yep. And so for a lot of nurses specifically or healthcare workers, this is that one thing they say, oh, well, to deal with burnout, I do self-care. I go get pedicures. I get a massage once a month. I go out drinking with yeah. my friends on Friday night and that might sustain you when things are status quo, but then a pandemic hits or you have a mass turnover of staff on your unit. And then all of a sudden, that, that one thing isn't cutting it anymore. It's not good enough anymore. So true. Yeah. yeah. And that's when the other five pillars step up and fill in the gaps. Mm-hmm. Love that. Yeah. So number four. Yeah. So number four is interpersonal support. And this is another one that is, is kind of one of my favorites because like, this is really thinking about and being strategic about who you rely on to help you process the trauma, the grief, the stressors of your career. For a lot of people, their first thought is I call my mom or I talk to my husband or my wife when I get home. The challenge with that is your mom or your spouse, depending on what their career is and what their circumstances are, they may not be prepared at all to help you process the things that you're dealing with. And you may be creating more stressors by laying on things on them that they are not prepared to process themselves. Mm -hmm. Perfect example of this is my husband. He is a business professor. I used to come home and talk to him about, I just spent 12 hours in the pediatric ICU. I had one patient who died of this, another patient who was abused. This patient was a drowning victim. I don't know if they're going to make it. And he would just stand there like a deer in headlights. He wanted to be supportive, but he didn't even know where to begin. Not to mention the fact that He's traumatized by all these stories and the number of them that he's hearing from me on a day-to-day basis, right? Mm -hmm. So that interpersonal support pillar is really identifying who the right people are to support you for the right things. And it may be that for the day-to-day, I'm tired, I need an hour to go do grocery shopping alone so I can think or, you know, go sit outside and rest. That might be your spouse or your parent or your best friend. But when it comes to processing specific traumatic events or, you know, really difficult situations in your work environment, it might be talking to your chaplain or a therapist or a social worker or someone else who is equipped and trained to process that level of trauma themselves and to help you process it. 
right? So someone uh, more professional in that sense yeah. too, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So that you leave that conversation feeling like there's a resolution, not feeling like you've just commiserated with someone and you're right. still- Right. I was right? just, I was just going to say, what about your colleagues? Is that, does that so kind of set you up it. for- uh, yeah. Sometimes that's good, especially if you've had a situation on the unit or that they weren't directly involved with, but they're aware of and understand, right. you know, if you had a particularly bad patient death or deterioration and the other people on your unit understand your patient population, they understand the day-to-day role. They may be great to help you through it. If they were also closely involved with that code or that deterioration, they may be still too close and in too much of a struggle of their own. Mm -hmm. to be able to guide you out or through that, they may need that support as well. And that's when it's a good idea to take, you know, kind of go to someone who's a degree outside of that situation that can look at it from a guiding perspective. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then number five is moral compass. So this is where we talk about ethics and spirituality and our own beliefs and our own set of moral values and how we can align them or find a compromise of them with the things we see every day, the treatments that we provide, those that we believe in and don't believe in, how to, you know, but we're all faced with those situations or ethics situations, especially for patients in an oncology unit, or I, I talk to a lot of patients that are um, nurses that are NICU nurses that struggle with this idea of just because we can do these things, does it mean we should? Are we doing mm-hmm. the right thing by doing everything? And so moral compass is a, is a pillar that focuses on practicing how to balance our own beliefs and ethics with that of the institution that we work within or the, you know, the provider role that we play. Okay, so it's more in relation to the organizational piece as opposed to like the pa- like a patient's per se? It could be both. both. Okay. Yeah, it could be both. It could also be how do you respect, one of the things we talk about is how do you respect the patient's wishes right. and their beliefs and, and practices without compromising your own? So mm-hmm. a lot of what we, what we work on here is understanding. Again, it kind of goes back to a lot of education. Like if mm-hmm. I understand why they want to do what they do, I can better facilitate that even if I don't necessarily agree with it. Um, a lot of times just by understanding the, the behind the scenes, right. Of why this person wants this end of life practice or whatever it may be, mm-hmm. or why they want to refuse this treatment. If I understand why I might be better equipped to personally process that my patient's refusing this thing that I truly believe is the best thing for them yeah. rather than feeling like my patient won't do what I want, or I can't take care of them because they won't let me do this thing. It's a way to look from a different angle, view from a different angle. Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm helping them by upholding their practice or respecting their beliefs. So it's really kind of looking at and evaluating the things that we do from a moral ethics and spiritual lens, but in a way that's not narrowing us into our own, you know, line of beliefs. Yeah. It's very non-judgmental. It sounds like, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is hard to do. I mean, it's It's super hard. Yeah. And a lot of times we don't realize how hard it is. We just, because we just know what we know. And until we allow ourselves to be exposed to other 
ideas and other thought processes and other ways of looking at things, it's really hard to, to be able to kind of, you know, feel good about what you're doing without feeling that, that tension or feeling that adversity. Yeah. That's something I've really, um, uh, become more attuned to in my practice over the last few years is that non-judgmental uh, presence. And I, you know, I see it a lot where I might see, think something is safer and a better intervention than maybe my patient might, but it really is considering their beliefs, their values, and why they choose what they choose and really coming to that place of mutual understanding. And then sometimes that can even be further complicated if family members don't see what they're, what they're, what the patient sees. And then you have to make like, you're kind of then a part of that triangle. Right. So it's one that I think we do. We're in constantly, to be honest. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's, and the awareness of it until it's a really big issue. Right. Yes. All of a sudden we're thinking about it when really every day we're happening things that we're like, Oh, that makes me feel a little uncomfortable because I'm not (laughs) familiar with that, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's really just a lot of awareness and, and recognizing how we can align and, yeah. and all come together for a common good. You know? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Awesome. So we're on yeah. number, is that so number six? Yeah. The last yeah. one. Okay. Yes. Is relentless tenacity. Ooh, so, and this is that like grit that like, mm-hmm. we're just we're going to hunker down and do what we got to do. And a lot of people see this as try, try again. Uh, which a lot of times it can be like refusal to give up, but you have to sometimes take the approach of try, try something new. And I think this is where a lot of people go amiss. They keep trying the same things and getting frustrated that what they're doing isn't working. So this, a great example is I know that this process on my unit needs to change. My manager just won't listen. Mm-hmm. Okay. So instead of just continuing to approach the manager and say, I want this to change. This is terrible. Whatever the case may be. It may be that you need to try from a totally different approach, you know, try from a different angle, try talking to a different person or try talking to that person at a different time. Mm -hmm. Or instead of trying, you know, maybe bringing that person a solution or suggesting, Hey, I would love to take the lead in trying this new way. Can I get your support? Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, it's refusing to give up on the end goal, but being willing to try different things, to look at it from different angles and work, you know, work with your team to get to that goal, no matter what it takes. And it doesn't have to be just one way. Yeah. I think that's such a strong quality in nursing in general, in the profession that I've seen. I've worked with nurses, many nurses over the years, and I just see that grit and I see that persistence and and I, I see that unity there a, lo- a lot of times. I know, you know, healthcare has its toxic moments too. Don't get me wrong. But I, I, I do think when push comes to shove, nurses collectively come together very well. Um, yeah. And it's, qu- it's quite inspiring. So in your, in your coaching practice and stuff, what do you find? Um, Cause you kind of said like, you basically consult with someone and you, and you look at whether, you know, they're stronger in one area um, than, than another in this, these areas of resilience. Are there any common themes that you find like that where people are stronger and yeah. not as is there? Yeah. What, what so patterns have you? Usually number one. Yeah. Is it? Okay. So then I called it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have that innate, like, by golly, totally. figure this out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that tends to be number one. The lowest tends to be intentional self-care. Mm, still, uh, eh? 
Yeah. 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 Because you're like, oh, me, whatever. Well, I got to take care of everybody else, you know? Yeah. And if you don't get to me, we all know that never happens unless we make it intentional. So that tends yeah. to always be the bottom. And then the others kind of vary um, pretty evenly. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it depends on people's you know, upbringing or um, their background, whether they were kind of raised to see things always with the, you know, the positive or from a spiritual lens. So those kind of tend to be pretty evenly distributed. Um, but yeah, the, the highest and lowest are pretty consistent. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wild to me about the self-care because it seems so simple in a way. And I know it's not because I, I mean, I'm in it too. I get it. But, you know, it's still, it's still interesting yeah. that it's uh, the hardest thing that we that we yeah. find to do for yeah. ourselves, right? So let's let's talk about that for a moment as we close up here. So if someone today was recognizing that they're starting to, like they've, you know, they're drained, right? They're emotionally exhausted or they're feeling cynic, you know, cynical, they're depersonalizing, yeah. they just don't have any more to give. And they're contemplating leaving, right? We're seeing that. You said it too. You know, what's something they can do right now? What's an action step, maybe? Speaking of decisive action, what's something that they can do right now to maybe kind of change things around for themselves? Yeah, well, the first thing is to decide that you are worthy of it. Because until mm. you say that out loud, like, I deserve to be cared for, it's it's going to get swept under the rug, right? You're going to go back to the same old habits. So I often encourage people to write on a sticky note or on a note and put it on your mirror where you brush your teeth every day. I deserve to be cared for. I am worthy of care so that you are constantly reminded that this is important. Mm -hmm. The second thing is to utilize the resources that are available to you right away. So whatever your facility has, whether it's a chaplain or, uh, you know, an uh, EAP and employee assistance program, utilize what's right at your fingertips just to get something started, to start filling in some gaps. Mm -hmm. Another really important thing to do is communicate with the people who are closest to you, whether it be a spouse, um, you know, a parent or children that you have identified a struggle and that you need support in working through that. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times just in making other people aware that like, Hey, I I need help too. uh, A lot of times people assume you're okay because you put the front that you're okay. Mm -hmm. I know, again, in my personal experience, one of the first things I thought about as we were starting to navigate my daughter's journey was everybody's going to expect me to make the decisions, to know all the right things to do, to know all the information because I'm the nurse in the family. Everybody's going to be expecting me to have all the answers. And so for a long time, I was like, I have to be strong. I can't show that I'm scared. I have to not have doubts. And then it finally hit me. Actually, my mom kind of brought it up. She was like, like, you can't be that straight, you know, like, I know you're scared. Like, you you don't have to know it all. You don't, you're still mom too. Yeah. It's like, oh, wow. yeah, I also can be devastated by this and that's okay. Yeah. So, but nobody else was going to say like, hey, are you okay? You know, because they were relying on me to be strong. And mm-hmm. they just assumed that because that's the face I was putting on, the front that I was showing, that they didn't need to ask otherwise, right? Yeah. So, um communicating with our closest circle that we are struggling is really valuable because that immediately provides a flood of support. Even if all they know to do is give you a hug or say, Hey, how is today? Hey, I love you. Hey, I'm here for you. Again, that's an immediate response that you can receive to start to kind of refill your bucket and show you the hope that you need to start to take the bigger steps. 
Yeah. I think that's really hard for us <laughs> to, so I love that your mom like mentioned that to you. And I think if there happen to be spouses or, you know, people who are listening to this podcast, we're not healthcare providers, but yeah, have people in their lives who are that to ask how they're doing once in a while, you know, how's work going, you know, are you doing okay? I think my mom only knew because she had been a nurse for 45 years. Yeah. Like she's your mom. My mom. Yeah. And she's your mom. Yeah. Pretty smart, but yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, we have to, again, we have to self advocate. Yeah. Definitely. Love that. So tell us about the RN. Is it the, the, res- the Resilient R- Nurse Project? Res- thank you. The Resilient yeah. Nurse Project in your book, right? The yeah. Re- Resilient Nurse book and where people can connect with you, Karen. Absolutely. So all of our information is on our website, rnproject.org. There you will find information about all of the different ways that we work with nurses. And there are a number. We have our annual summit, which is a yearly, once a year, three-day summit where we have speakers from all different topics, different areas of expertise that are all talking about ways that nurses can take care of themselves from sleep to nutrition, to mindset, to family communication, all the things. Uh, We even have someone coming up this next year that talks about financial wellness and how nurses can support themselves with financial wellness. So it's all the ways, uh, but it's all about nurses taking care of themselves. We also have um, in-person events like retreats, three-day weekend retreats to kind of get away and and really dig into all of these pillars and and ideals in a deeper way. Um, And then we have courses, online courses, and, and individual coaching, things like that. So all of that is on our website. Um, We also, for nurses who want to kind of take a a little bit slower approach or a more DIY approach, uh, we have our monthly subscription box, which is uh, for nurses. Every month there is a personal development or inspirational book, and I'll do an online training each month that goes along with that book and that topic. And then there's self-care items every month in that book, in that box as well, just to help nurses, you know, like at least you don't have to think about what to do or how to find time to do it. It's delivered to your door, you know, and then like, it's just open the box and, and use the things. And that's a good start. And then the book, of course, that's our newest thing. So it came out in May and the book outlines all of the pillars that we talked about in a little bit more detail. And then it includes my favorite part of the book. uh, It includes stories from other nurses about how they have actually worked through these pillars of resilience, how they have applied them in various situations, whether it be personal crisis or professional struggle. Mm -hmm. So there are so many of us that have experienced burnout, whether it's a combination of work and home stress or primarily one or the other, you know, there are millions of nurses in the U.S. and so many of us have struggled, but we're not talking about it or we're not connecting the dots. And so that is my hope that we can support each other in talking about these things in a way that's not just frustration or bitterness or complaining about the problem, but in a way that's moving people forward. And is this only exclusive for nursing, Karen, or have you opened it up to other healthcare workers? It's primarily for nursing. I mean, if someone reached out to me and said, hey, I really need help, I, I would not turn them away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will say that everything that we put out is is kind of geared toward nurses. Yeah. Awesome. And just back to your pillars, I just have a question for you as we <laughs> sign off, because <laughs> I've, I've appreciated how real you've been throughout this whole conversation. Um, if you had to self-assess yourself right now, 
what would you say is your, I mean, we can't be perfect, right? We can't have an equal balance, I imagine, across all six. But what would you say right now in this moment is the area that you could, you know, improve upon? Improve upon and in what area are you doing very well in? Mm, <laughs> so I think active optimism is always a challenge for me. Okay. No matter how much I train my brain and work really hard to see positive, I always think the worst case scenario first. And so that's a constant battle. And I also always see the worst of myself first, that inner critic. And so that is a constant battle for me to remind myself that I am worthy, that my husband does love me. We've been married 15 years and he tells me every day he loves me. So why, when I wake up one day feeling fat that day or have a bad hair day, do I worry about what he's going to think? You know, (laughs) I do. And so I think a lot of women do do as well. So yeah, that's Mm -hmm. one that I'm constantly having to like push myself and and catch myself of like, practice what you preach, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And just retraining. Yeah. And and what are you doing very well with? Relentless tenacity. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So my dad, I mean, my mom is great too, but my dad is like, he says no to nothing. He can fix anything. He can do anything like that's his mindset. And by golly, he's going to figure it out, you know? Yeah. So that's, that was ingrained in me from a very young age that, Quitting is not an option. So someone said to me, um, can't is not an option. It's a challenge. Wow. And that's kind of that's kind of what he taught us growing up. It's like, there's no can't do it. There's no quit. There's just another way. You yeah. know, there's there's a still more to learn option. And so I think that is so natural to me that I just keep pushing forward. I refuse to give up on things. I love that. And I think that's why you're doing the work you're doing. Yeah, you know, yeah. and that you've got the tenacity for it and you're inspiring others and, and bringing us along. So I appreciate you so much for being here and your time and all the work you're doing in this space. And are you still working? Like you're practicing still, are you not? Not now. So no? now I'm okay. Switch. So RM project is my full-time ah. role. Yeah. It's Congrats. Really, it, it was, it was bittersweet to step away from the bedside because I do love my patients and I love the work that I did there, but it was a good season you know, personally with my kids going off to college and, and professionally with more and more um, people asking about the Resilient Nurse Project and what we can do. In fact, the thing that kind of made the switch for me was we recently started offering corporate programs. So I've had nurse leaders or hospital leaders reach out and ask, how can we bring these ideals or these trainings to our system, to our nurses as a whole? And so that's where my focus is right now is how can we make these, you know, bigger shifts and bigger changes um, so that more people get access? I'm so happy that you're doing that at a corporate organizational level and that corporate healthcare leaders are reaching out to you in that space too. So that's, yeah, that's they're, awesome. They're starting to see that it, it's a big enough issue that it's, they can't turn a blind eye and the little band-aid fixes that have worked in the past are no longer enough. This is not yeah. good enough. Yeah, love that. Well, I wish you continued success and growth in this space. And and thank you so much again for being here. And uh, we'll put all of your information in the show notes. So if any listeners want to reach out to you, um, they can do so. Thank you so much again. Thank you, Jennifer. You take care.
So if you guys like this podcast, please subscribe and leave an honest review. Your feedback means everything to me. Your reviews are what moves this podcast forward, and I always appreciate receiving them. If you want to get a hold of me directly, reach out to me on social media. My handles are in the show notes. And you can always subscribe to my weekly newsletters at jennifergeorge.co so that we can stay connected. So until next time, thank you guys so much again for your ongoing support.